Nova is America's most watched science series. You'll find it every night at 7.50 on PBS. Sky Channel 166, Virgin Media 243. PBS, where television matters. The Guardian. Earlier this month, 22-year-old cyclist Ellie Carey was killed in a collision with a heavy goods vehicle near Tower Bridge. It brought the total number of fatalities in London up to 16 this year. That's the highest for five years. And it's no blip. Cyclist deaths across the UK also increased in 2009 and 2010. We've heard lots from the government about the environmental and health benefits of cycling, but is enough being done to make the roads safe for bikes? It's just complete shock and utter disbelief and like the wind's been completely knocked out of you. This is Kate Cairns. Her sister Ailey was tragically killed by a heavy goods vehicle in 2009. She recently failed in her legal battle to secure a new inquest. She's a very, very experienced cyclist. She cycled route every day to work, which she'd done for three years with a 20-mile round trip. I don't really know anyone who is much of a better cyclist than Ailey. She kind of compared herself to couriers. The coroner recorded a verdict of accidental death, but um, you clearly didn't think that that was adequate. Um, tell us why. Uh, the coroner recorded a verdict of traumatic road death, but she went on to say that it was a tragic accident and it was not an uncommon occurrence in London. And coroners have um, rule 43, the powers of Rule 43 recommendations, therefore they are able to make recommendations if they think that there is some um, consistent problem and they can make recommendations to prevent future deaths. We were so disappointed that she didn't do that because she herself admitted that, admitted that it was not an uncommon occurrence. I don't know how many cyclists now, it's well over 20 now, cyclists have died since Ailey died. And it's all because, well, it's usually because the HGV drivers say, say that they can't see the cyclists. So there's a systemic problem that um, drivers have blind spots all around their vehicles and the mirrors might be there, they might not be there, they might be in the right position, they might not be in the right position, but if the driver doesn't look in the right mirror at the right time, then they're not going to see the cyclist. And these trucks kill cyclists when they're travelling two miles an hour. So there's and just no margin for error at all? There's not at all, and the drivers are in their cab, they can't hear anything, they can't see anything. There are stories of um, the public shouting and screaming at a driver because they can see that he's hit someone, crushing someone, and he just, he just carries on because he's completely unaware. And they're just wiping out cyclists every month. And it's just like they're discriminated against. If it was any other group of people, this would just not be acceptable. But because they're cyclists and they seem to be dodging through red lights every now and then, then um, this seems to be the punishment they have to pay. They're not afforded the protection of the law like any other group. It's a kind of double tragedy. Well, every time it happens, you relive, you re relive your loss because you know that another family is going through exactly what you've gone through and still nothing changes it's just it's just really it's really appalling that those in a position of civic duty and public responsibility can't put their minds to um acknowledging the problem and doing proper research to find the solutions and implement implement solutions she did work in the city she worked for one of the law firms in the city and she did cycle to work every day 
um, she was on a familiar route uh, and the turn where the driver was turning into was a turning which was actually forbidden to lorries. There's a sign at the end of it forbidding access to lorries unless they're making a delivery. This is Cynthia Barlow. Her daughter Alex was killed in 2000. And since then, Cynthia has worked tirelessly to campaign for cyclist rights. She's also the chair of the charity Road Peace. It was just a nightmare, and um, all of her friends were really badly affected, as well as her family. It, it was an absolutely shocking experience for all of us. Um, in those naive days, I kind of expected that the people who had a job to do in connection with her death would want to do a decent job of work, because it's a serious matter. But that was obviously far too naive because the system didn't do what it was supposed to do. I thought the uh, inquest was a complete waste of time. The driver was uh, prosecuted but acquitted because the standard of the prosecution was just rubbish. Um, And so I got to the end of all those processes thinking, this is not good enough. I'm going to do something myself. So I, I did various pieces of research and talk to people and stuff and decided in the end that what I would do was buy shares in the company, which was then um, RMC, ReadyMix. So I bought shares in the company and went to their AGM in 2002 and um, told them what I wanted them to do, which was basically uh, a proper health and safety approach, a proper examination of what happened, why it happened, and how you can stop it happening again, which is what would happen in any on-site work-related death. So why shouldn't the same apply to the roads? Um, and uh, they, they did agree to work with me. We have continued to work together. Uh, they've done a lot about this, um, and the... the um, most important thing from my point of view is is the work they've done actually on the lorries, which includes sensors down the left-hand side. Uh, when the left indicator is turned on, um, the sensors are activated and it will set off an alarm in the driver's cab to let him know that somebody is there and where they are alongside the lorry and also activates a voice box which says caution truck turning left so that everybody knows what the lorry is about to do. When that kind of lorry needs to make a sharp left turn, it has to pull over sharp to the right before making the left turn. And so anybody on the inside will see the lorry pull over to the right and assume that they're turning right, whereas in fact they're not, they're turning left. So, so, and the more people I talked to, the more I realised that there were so many factors in common that these these sorts of fatalities are not random there are clear causes and if there are clear causes then there are clear solutions which people should agree to undertake that's cynthia barlow there and before that kate cairns and the guardian's resident bike bloggers join me now peter walker and james randerson hello to you both of you hello hello hi we've heard a couple of tragic stories there um all involving heavy goods vehicles. Uh, Peter, are heavy goods vehicles, is that typical? Are they the main problem? In London, yes. I mean, cycling campaigners say that it's difficult to get exact figures, but um, heavy goods vehicles are about 5% of the traffic in London. Um, But they account for, in London as a whole, 50% of all uh, bike deaths. And in the central London, it's probably more than that. Um, It's just because the traffic speeds in central London are usually fairly slow. So if you're hit by something going 20 miles an hour, you probably won't be killed. But if um, a lorry hits you when you're on a bike, or in particular if it turns left, mm, then yeah. that's when things get really, really nasty. And a lorry can, can kill you going very slowly indeed, can't it? Well, and that's the tragic thing, is that that's what most of the things are. It can be very, very often a lorry 
will either be waiting at some lights and will turn left or will turn left in front of a cyclist and the cyclist just goes under the back wheels and it's just... Uh, it you know it, it doesn't have to be particularly quick, but it's but it's but it's grim. And James, the cyclists themselves have to take some responsibility in that they have to ride um, in a responsible way. But in the cases that we've heard about, Bailey Keynes and Alex Jane McVitie, they were both really experienced cyclists. So I mean, sometimes the experience doesn't doesn't help. The experience is not enough. Well, yeah, apparently so. I mean, it's it it is uh, very depressing to sort of hear about those cases and think you know. You know, how easy could that happen to me? And you you sort of replay times when you, you know you you've sort of been on the inside, and there's a lorry on the right, and you think, well, you know, think about near misses you've had. I don't know. It's, a, I mean, there are sort of general rules that are good to follow, which is that if there's a lorry stopped at some lights, or, um, you know, it's not a good idea to creep up on the inside where mm. they probably mm. won't be able to see you, even if they're not indicating left. You know, but especially if they're indicating left. Um, and you know, generally, it's a good idea to get yourself right out in front of them, in front of anyone at some lights, so that they can see you, and uh, you know, sort of force people to see you. Um, but you know, sometimes just odd situations arise on the road, and uh, and it's you know, it's hard to avoid them. And Peter, eye contact is so important, isn't it? And of course, with a big lorry, you just can't make that eye contact sometimes. It is, which is why I mean the one golden rule for anyone cycling in a built-up uh, area is if there's a lorry on the road then you don't as James was saying creep up on the inside you always make sure you go on the right hand side of it or the best thing is you sit directly in uh, front of it and what I'll do I'll get enough in front of it be able to turn around crane my neck and actually look at the driver and make sure the driver can see where I am I mean it's, it's worth stressing at the start that overall cycling even in a big city uh, uh, like like this is not incredibly difficult and it's not such a kind of dangerous thing but the, 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 the lorry problem, just because of sheer numbers, is actually quite a problem. I suppose so when there is a problem, it can be a serious problem. And of course, there are some areas that uh, things are patchy. Some areas are just much more problematic than others. And some junctions are particularly bad, yes. Yeah. Well, design student Deep Lee was one of those killed this year when she was hit by a truck on Pentonville Road in King's Cross. It's a notorious directory and it's thought to be one of the most dangerous spots for cyclists in London. I went along to take a look with Mike Cavanagh from the London Cycling Campaign to ask how it could be improved. There's acres of space here, you know, there's three lanes, three motor traffic lanes going one direction and a bus lane in the other direction. There's a large wide pavement here. I mean, if we were in Holland, there would be a segregated bike facility here, which would separate um, bicyclists from fast moving traffic. That's, I mean, that's the, the standard mantra in, in well-developed cycling nations is to mix when possible and separate when necessary. So you're, you're basically, as a cyclist, you're not put in danger. You're, uh, junctions are treated properly. And when you're going along a, a, you know, a large open road like this, you're in a separate bike lane, two metres wide, and you're safe. And it works. They have 25% of all journeys in the Netherlands are taken by a bicycle, compared with 2% in London. So what's happened? Have we tried to get a revolution on the street? <laughs> yes. Um, though sadly, it's not always budgetary constraints. Um, there's there's a, a culture within Transport for London, and certainly the current mayor, Boris Johnson... Um, they're, they're, they're sadly they're very wedded to motor traffic. Um, they, they uh, I think they see motor traffic as a form of freedom, whereas we would say the opposite is true. Um, motor traffic often constrains your choices, so people often don't have a choice to walk journeys that they'd like to walk because streets are, are unwelcoming for people, and they don't have a choice to to go by bicycle because they're they're frankly scared to get on a bicycle. Um, traffic flow too often there are there are schemes um such as one that's proposed at um king's cross in february 2008 there was a there was a, a walkabout with local campaigners 
um, and Transport for London and uh, some consultants, TRL, Transport Research Laboratory, and they came up, you know, they, they, they were scathing about this junction. They described, you know, uh, aggressive driving, fast-moving vehicles, um, poor space for pedestrians. Um, and the reasons these are rejected is, as you say, often it's budgetary, though we can still find 20 billion for Crossrail, but not, you know, maybe a couple of million to fix a, a dangerous junction. Um, but it's also traffic flow. It's all about keeping traffic moving. And if cyclists are, you know, we're the casualties in, in, in that decision-making process. I suppose people will be surprised because you read about stories of fatalities. At the moment, uh, quite a few stories about fatalities if you go further east in Bow. And most people will think, well, if something's happened there, surely there'll be an official response to that. But well, how can you have people dying and then those problems not being rectified? No, I mean, it's, it's disgraceful what's happened at Bow. Uh, two people were killed in the space of three weeks where uh, effectively a motorway meets a trunk road. Um, and this is a very wide roundabout, um, you know, lots of space for cars to go through at speed. It's, it's also uh, forms part of one of the mayor's uh, flagship cycle superhighways. The problem was that there, there have been consultations on this. We were, we were talking, we were warning that this was a dangerous junction to the mayor, you know, two years ago. Um, their, their own consultants said, you know, the, the solution is to put, put toucan crossings in there so, so uh, cyclists and pedestrians uh, can go across with the safety of traffic lights. Um, and none of this has been done. And in response to the two deaths happening in three weeks, they've called a review. So they're reviewing what they've already reviewed. It's, it's you know, frankly, it's just doing nothing is, is not a solution. So I'm here by the junction that Mike was talking about on a borrowed bike. And I'm uh, going to see if I can make it uh, to the office across this junction. It's uh, very busy at the moment. It's lunchtime. There are lots of cars, buses. This junction, we're told, is not very well laid out especially for cyclists. There have been three deaths here in four years. I'm hoping mine won't be uh, the next one. We'll see how I get on. Here we go, traffic's moving. Can't really see what's uh, in front of me. And I'm going to have to get over to the right a bit to get to the office. Uh, a lot of the traffic is moving over. I'm trying to, but it's uh, not easy. The taxi's just cut me up a bit. Here comes another one. The ambulance is swinging towards me a bit now, looking a bit more menacing. It'd be uh, ironic to be knocked over by an ambulance. Yeah. Oh, good, I've got some abuse from the lorry driver too. All right, he's stopped in front of me, so I have to go round him now. Two taxis have already gone round him. Uh, oh, he's backing up in front of me now as well. Right, I'm going to cheat and go up onto the pavement a bit and come down in front of the lorry. I'm in completely in the wrong lane to go where I want to go. Just about made that across. And we're across the lights. And down into uh, York Way where the office is, just a few yards to go now. Just have to watch out for him. He's going to try and make a right across me. There's a lot of concentrating to do here. Uh, I think I know what they mean when they say you've got to keep your wits about you. But no, I'm still there. Right, a few yards to go and there, made it. Whew. Take me back to the central line. Not sure I like that at all. Well, James, you do that, I think, every day, don't you? You cycle and deal with King's Cross. Uh, some might say it's a bit of a death wish, and I know I won't be doing it again for a while, but uh, <laughs> if we know that, angels, that area is dangerous, and it's been dangerous for a long while, why is it still dangerous? Why has nothing been done? Well, it, it just feels like... Um you know, c cyclists very often are kind of at the bottom of the priority list when it comes to deciding these things. And, uh, you know, clearly it would take a bit of investment to move some 
bollards around and create protected lanes and uh, you know whatever the best solution is for that uh, particular junction. But um, it, it's all about an attitude, I think. It's and, not rocket and science, is it? It really isn't. And uh, you know I, the the increase in you know massive increases in the number of people cycling in in London have have made a difference. And and the, it, the two things sort of go hand in hand. The easier you make it is to cycle, the more people cycle. The more people who are cycling, the more pressure there is for other areas to be improved. And and also, when you get a, a kind of weight of numbers of cyclists, I think that makes life easier. I mean, I've really noticed the difference in the sort of 10 years or so I've been cycling in London. And because it's become much more normal, it's less of a sort of niche pursuit. Um, I, I think motorists tend to notice you better and, uh, and you know, tend to... Uh, things are just a bit easier because there, are, there feels like there's some safety in numbers now. Right, so we're learning, even if uh, too slowly. But, uh, Peter, it's, we've talked a lot about London, and obviously uh, you know, London has <coughs> tried to do a lot to encourage cycling, but it's not just London that has uh, cyclists and dangerous stretches for cyclists. Take us around the UK, uh, which areas are doing this well and others not so? I mean, it's a slightly funny one, because the only way you can measure which the more or least um, cycle-safe places are is by doing the death and serious injury per kilometre travelled or billion kilometres travelled. And the problem with bikes is it's very, very difficult to measure the number of journeys and in particular how long the journeys are. So the Department for Transport do some figures, but cycle campaigners say they're not the best in the world. Um, and there are figures for casualties per billion vehicle miles. And London comes out as by far the most uh, dangerous place at 10,200 per uh, billion miles. But that's obviously because it's a very special yeah. place. It's all built up. Um, the east of England um, is by far the safest um, with about, where are we, about 3,400. And cycle campaigners, and it's partly because that takes in places like Cambridge, where there's a lot of people on bikes, and cycle campaigners point out that it's this kind of safety in uh, numbers thing, that the more cyclists there are on the road, the more drivers get used to it. And also, as James was saying, the more the infrastructure tends to get um, built up. Um, apart from that, there's not any massive differences. The northwest of England is slightly more dangerous, and that takes in places like Manchester, where campaigners say there are a few troubles. Mm. Um, I mean, London gets focused on an awful lot, partly just because it is kind of the crucible for all this cycling change, because it has many, many more cyclists than any other part of Britain, and things there are changing quicker than anywhere else. Mm. And it is worth also pointing out that the sheer number of extra cyclists there are means, means that cycling in London overall is probably safer than it was. There's more absolute numbers of people killed and injured, but there's many, many more people on the roads too. Of course, not as if nothing is being done in terms of trying to improve the roads. We do have these super highways, but James, it must be quite worrying that some of the deaths have, uh, have occurred on those super highways. Well, certainly. Uh, I mean, I think the super highways are, are practically meaningless, frankly. I mean, they they there's they do nothing. They're just blue strips painted on the road. They provide no protection for cyclists at all. I mean, they're pointless. And and also, there there are you know locations on those superhighways that are well documented where they sort of they run out and then they start again somewhere else you know they're just pointless they're 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 just um you know a way of seeming like action is being taken when really nothing don't is they even done. help in terms of the psychology of drivers um i doubt it very much i mean i I, I, I don't, don't know. Drive, so you might not well, know. I, I mean, I don't drive regularly in London. I can drive, and I do drive from uh, from time to time. Um, uh, I mean, I, no, I really don't think so because they're you know they they just sort of encroach on the lane that the driver has, and I, and I think one would hope that drivers would see that blue strip and think, well, okay, that's. But they're not. They're not obligated. You know, they they don't have to stay out of it. They're, you know, they have mm. no sort of legal force. 
Um, and so I don't think drivers really pay that much attention. I, and that's I don't almost know. the problem. Cyclists get this sense that it's a safe zone, but without right. a curb, it's just not. Right. It's encouraging people to feel that they're safe when they're not actually any more safe than they were. Which okay. actually is probably counterproductive, really. Yeah. Right, let's talk about the politics of this. Uh, Sustrans are a sustainable transport charity. And earlier I spoke to the policy manager, Jason Torrance, about this government's attitude to cycling. I think simply not enough is being done. If we look at one of the one of the most recent government policy announcements in the autumn statement, there was a very, very large amount of money that was earmarked for uh, improving transport infrastructure, some 30, uh, 30, billion, 30 million pounds being uh, allocated. Of, of that, none was allocated for, um, for cycling. None, uh, that's extraordinary. No. So we have uh, very large, we have about 5 billion allocated in this term of, of government, uh, a whole swathe of road programmes being planned, uh, indication that airports are going to get further funding and some money for rail and bus improvements but nothing specifically about trying to, to solve some of the very difficult problems and challenges that people face in making local sustainable transport choices. So what's going on here because you talk about the commitment to other um, tra- modes of transport we know that there's a proposal that would mean longer lorries on roads um, the uh, great efforts being made to keep the price of petrol down which will probably bring more cars onto the road do you feel that you're maybe just not winning the argument? Well I think there are there are very powerful lobbies uh, in the uh, in the the motoring lobby, if you like, or or the um, road building lobbies, and we we see very sadly, I think, in this in the coalition government, uh, a move towards uh, improving things for business in a very short time frame. Let's let's remember that congestion is thought to cost our economy billions of pounds. The answer at the moment seems to be building more infrastructure, more roads to enable more cars rather than enabling people to to take more sustainable travel choices, cycling or walking. So I think there's a real disjunct in in terms of the short-term policy making. Also, I think what we've seen over the years is that policy makers and particularly politicians like big new shiny things, be they roads or be they high-speed rail links, uh, not the many, many local small solutions that are needed to really tackle those local transport problems. Of course, the important thing is the cycling rather than the institutions, but uh, what, what were we to take from the scrapping of Cycling England? Um, that can't have been helpful, was it? I think the scrapping of Cycling England was most certainly a, a, a real setback. Local authorities up and down the country really enjoyed some really focused support from not just a a small dedicated team at the Department for Transport, but the engagement of a number of third sector organisations such as Sustrans to really assist them in making the right decisions in terms of improving cycling in their local area. All of that now doesn't exist. There are new partnerships forming up around the local sustainable transport fund and we're, we're entering an age where there is uh, a, a very much a, a localist agenda and some local authorities will choose not to prioritise cycling and some will choose to, to prioritise it a bit more but I think the, the sad story 
from our, our research certainly is that sustainable transport investment in cycling maintains a very, very low priority. Okay, that's Jason Torrance, the policy manager of Sustrans, and uh, I'm going to ask you both for a view on the, the government's commitment, but let me first uh, tell you that we did ask Mike Penning, the road safety minister, to join us here today, perhaps as an example of their commitment to cycling. He said he couldn't, um, but he did send us a statement, uh, and I'll quickly skip you through it. He says, we've committed £11 million for bikeability training to help a new generation of cyclists gain the skills and knowledge they need to cycle safely. And many of the schemes funded through our £560 million local sustainable transport fund include strong measures to support cyclists. In addition, we're leading discussions at European level on further improving vehicle standards for heavy goods vehicles to help reduce accidents with cyclists and pedestrians caused by poor visibility. I also want to see more innovative measures to improve cycle safety. We have recently authorised the use of Trixie mirrors in London to help more, make cyclists more visible to drivers. And I welcome schemes such as exchanging places which gives cyclists and HGV drivers invaluable tips on safety. Um, Peter, Trixie mirrors, first of all, what are they? Um, They're these little mirrors which are put on lampposts or traffic lights next to junctions where um, lorries can often use, and where they can often turn left. And they're just an extra mirror, meaning they can see down below their cab onto the road and see if Mm. there's a bike there. Uh, But the thing about all the things he mentions, they're essentially quite cheap. They're quite easy and they can be done without real any kind of commitment or effort. And the worry that people have is that the current Department for Transport team are not particularly into bikes or cycling. Uh, Philip uh, Hammond, who was the Transport Minister before he got moved a couple of months back, came into office and he was famously saying it's the end of the war on the motorist. Mm. And he said he wouldn't cycle in London. He'd be crazy. He drives his Jaguar, you know, one Mm. mile to the uh, House uh, 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 House of Commons. And there's just a sense amongst cycle campaigners that even with Norman Baker, who's the junior transport yeah. minister, the Lib Dem, there's not this commitment to spend any real money and right. to actually to, to really you know take on the road lobby too. Well, if it helps, I can tell you, I saw Philip Hammond yesterday deposited at a television studio and he climbed out of the back of a very black, shiny limousine. No surprise. Uh, so <laughs> Indeed. Uh, James, uh, we heard what well, one thing they didn't say, uh, Mike Penn didn't say in his statement, uh, was, of course, about these longer lorries. Um, that surely is just going to make a bad situation worse, isn't it? Uh, quite pro- probably. I mean, uh, it, it, the thing that I find so annoying is is that, you know, it's uh, it, it feels like such a no-brainer. I mean, you know, cut congestion, cut CO2 emissions, uh, cut pollution in city centres, um, better energy security because we really have to uh, import less oil, and better health for the people who are doing the cycling. Um, and, and also cycling is fundamentally pretty cheap to do. Um, and I, I think uh, the, the chap you were just speaking to uh, hit the nail on the head when he said these things are kind of piecemeal and not that sexy. They're not big, shiny projects like Crossrail. Mm. They're, they're about an attitudinal shift within government that, that keeps pushing on this issue mm. and, and makes things happen slowly. And, the, and as I was saying earlier on, the two things go hand in hand. The easier you make it to cycle, more people will cycle. The more people are cycling, they'll convince their friends. Everyone will feel safer on the road because of the safety of numbers effect. But if you sort of stop pushing, then all of that kind of grinds to a halt, I think. I mean, on these lorries, um, the, the, department, the experts at the uh, Department of Transport, the Transport Research Laboratory, say that uh, there should be no detectable difference in safety between the existing trailers and the proposed longer trailers. Does that seem credible to you? It's a difficult one to quantify. Um, the CTC, one of the other national cycling groups, say that one of the big non-urban safety risks 
is there's a reasonable number of cycling deaths or serious injuries where um, someone is cycling along a rural A road and they're not quite sure what's caused the accident, but a lot of the time it turns out to be a lorry went past quite quickly mm. and just the sheer kind of whoosh effect right. knocked the person off the bike. And they've got two worries. Firstly, they do think the longer lorries will have more of a kind of uh, effect like this. And there's also um, a consultation with the department within the Department for Transport, that on some rural roads to allow HGVs, which are currently limited on these roads to 40 miles an hour, to go to uh, go to 50. And if you're being passed on a bike by one of those lorries, you know, with a couple of inches, that would make a massive, massive difference. So I think there is concern, yes. There's a basic problem here, isn't there? Because if you read Tony Blair's memoir, he makes it clear that the closest any of his governments came to collapse was when there was the petrol blockade. Um, politicians are scared of motorists in a way they aren't scared of cyclists. If it's the car versus the bike... The car will always win, won't it, James? Yeah, it's a very, very powerful lobby. And, you know, we've seen that in the uh, the recent autumn statement that, you know, despite all the pressures on the government finances, they they decided to postpone the, the increase in fuel duty. You know, I, I mean, the thing is that... Uh, uh, London is a little bit special in that there are lots of alternatives. I mean, I find it crazy that anyone would even think of driving in London because it's so difficult to get anywhere, you know. Um, but... Uh, because you know there there are all the alternatives with the the tube and and you know good buses and so on it's not like that through a lot of the country particularly in rural areas so you know i can totally understand why people who live out uh, yeah. out there would yeah. feel you know actually i need my car to just to go about my daily life um and and also it, all of this is is a well part of the problem is a sort of legacy of years and years of planning decisions as well which have sort of built in the car in yeah. in certain areas and so you know out of town supermarkets and all of those kind of things and you know trying to unweave all of that is actually very very difficult all right let's end with the future what can be done about this uh, how can cyclists punch their weight because uh, I'm, I'm mindful of some work done by the london school of economics which says cycling contributes almost three billion pounds to the UK economy and that a quarter of the population in our cycle, it's might be more than that now. That's quite a bit of weight. How do you make that count politically? It's tricky. I mean, you can make it very, very plain to your local MP, you'll vote for them if they promote cycling issues. Um, it is tough because it's just this cause and effect thing that you need the infrastructure there before there's a tipping point of cyclists who can make a difference. And the experience in other countries is that you do effectively need politicians to take, to take a, a, a lead. Everyone in Britain looks to the Netherlands and the Danes as, as being the kind of examples of how to do it. But they made a conscious choice in kind of the 60s, 70s-ish that they were going to... They, they faced this thing where they had a lot of children being killed by cars mm. and, and, mm. and things like that. So the government at the time made a conscious choice. We will now plan for a cycling culture yes. and they did that and it took decades but it worked but you almost need a government to take that lead and uh, James do you see any sign of that level of commitment coming mm, certainly not in the short term I mean I just a slightly left field thought but I wonder whether we need um I mean the, the, one of the slight issues with cycling is that it has a bit of an image problem in that it's all a bit open-toed sandaled and yeah, um, yeah. po-faced and you know slightly unsexy changes to junctions and things like that. And I wonder whether we need, a, um, I don't know, a kind of a brilliant comedian to find a way into this in a way that, that kind of shows up the absurdities of the car culture and, and is a, some kind of foil to the Jeremy Clarkson's you had, you of these. Kelly people. Brooks doing the sky ride, with, <laughs> with, with, or that, that riding uh, cycling event with uh, Boris Johnson. Is that not, not enough for you? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that um, she did lots for, uh, for, for cycling for, and for I... I, I, yes. I, I've, yeah, I've 
I applaud uh, those efforts, but uh, I think maybe someone who... I mean, you know, the thing is, Clarkson has built his persona around yes. um, a, a constituency of people who... Uh, who, well, quite a lot of them seem to really hate cyclists, and yeah. I wonder whether someone who can slightly send that up and uh, and show us the absurdity of our ways. I, I mean, I, yeah, I think the po-faceness of cycling or the perceived po-faceness of cycling may be a slight part of the problem, and actually if someone can puncture that, that would be great. Well, maybe the next time Clarkson upsets the general populace, he can be sentenced to ride a bike for at least a month. I can't see it happening, but it'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> we can all hope. Anyway, that's all the time we've got there for this podcast. Many thanks to you, Peter Walker and James Randerson. I should say that if you want to keep up with the debate, check out our bike blog. That's at guardian.co.uk forward slash bike forward slash blog. Uh, there's lots on there, including, I see, the best Christmas gifts for cyclists. Um, and one such could be the best of the blog in book form, that Cycle Babble. You can get to that um, from that webpage. Um, but that really is it for now. I'm Hugh Muir. The producer of this Focus podcast was Peter Sale. Thanks for listening. And if you're venturing out onto the roads, be safe. great downloads go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio